1: Tonight is a special Bible study. I know that I've been talking for weeks about wanting to start a series on relationships, the relation like the relationship between faith and works, the relationship between liberty and responsibility. Liberty in Christ and responsibility in Christ and things like that. And we are still of a mind to have that Bible study, but it is more prudent, it's much more prudent to have a more relevant study. Not that those studies are irrelevant. But for the current crisis that we're facing, however great or small it may be, it seemed fitting to engage in a different study tonight. So tonight and tonight only, be it the will of the Lord, we're going to be, we're going to have a Bible study on Psalm 91 and on what the word of God is and isn't. And it's all going to kind of blend together. Psalm 91, but let me go ahead and read it tonight. Let's begin in verse one. Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now I'm going to read through the entire psalm and then we'll go back through and teach it. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by day, nor for the arrow that flieth by the terror by night. Excuse me, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble I will deliver him and honor him with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation Now that's Psalm 91 So why are we bringing this up why are we teaching on this and and why are we uh, going to amalgamate this with a teaching on what the word of God is and what the word of God isn't Well because Christians sometimes can fall into a trap of, pr- of priding themselves on... We sometimes pride ourselves on not being superstitious. And we pride ourselves on uh, not, not believing in things that we regard as silly, because we've been, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, with all due humility, we've been enlightened by the Spirit of God. And so a lot of superstitions and things like that. We've been liberated from that sort of thing. So we don't really read horoscopes and believe them, you know, because we we know that either at worst, you know, there are dark forces operating behind and underneath that sort of thing and at best it's just silliness and superstition that we don't subscribe to anymore. Thus, a black cat walks a black cat walks across your path, you don't freak out because you don't care because it doesn't mean anything to us. Our God is stronger than superstitions. Amen? And likewise, you step under a ladder, no big deal. You spill some salt, who cares? It's more of a nuisance that you have to clean up salt than you have to, oh, i got to throw some over my shoulder into the devil's eye. Where did that even come from? We don't even know where a lot of these superstitions come from. But, but see, so we, we'd like to pride ourselves on not being superstitious about things like that, Right? But then we find ourselves falling into other superstitions like this. Okay, So at the outbreak of this thing, um, some, some well-meaning people, and I'm not finding fault at all, or I'm not throwing stones at all, I'm not blasting, none, none of that, I'm not rebuking, but a well-meaning soul reached out to me with this psalm, uh, specifically with kind of the uh, instruction to, you know, Pray this psalm over my family and my home and everybody I love every day. Pray this psalm because there's a pandemic going on and it's it's a disease. And while, you know, some people it's bothering, not at all other people, it's a real threat to their lives. And so, okay, it's a big spook and it's a big scare. And and, uh, without going into without going into opinionating about any of that, you know, it's It's real enough in a lot of people's minds and it's real enough in a lot of people's bodies. It is deadly to some. So they reached out. This person reached out to me. Not the person that died, excuse me, but another person. Again, a well-meaning person reached out to me with, well, we should be praying the psalm every day. Well, all right. Let me tell you what the Word of God isn't. It is not magic. It doesn't work like a book of spells that someone might open up and then make an incantation out of, as though invoking something or waving their hands over a brick of lead and reciting some Latin, and poof, it turns into gold. That's not the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is powerful. Okay, so don't take that and run the other way with it. The Word of God has power, yes. But it's not like that. It's not a book of spells. It's not something that you recite to ward off evil spirits. That's what the heathen and the unbeliever do. That's the way that the heathen and the unbeliever think. And again, I'm not trying to throw stones or cast aspersions upon people that revere the Word of God, but where the power of the Word of God lies is in changing the way we think and reminding us of the things uh, that God has promised and reminding us of His power. All power abides in Almighty God. Amen? It really does. He has the power. So, now I've got to navigate this kind of carefully because some might hear this and think that I'm trying to take away from the power of the Word of God. I'm not doing that. The Word of God has the power to remind us of God's eternal truths and to teach us of God's eternal truths. And that's what we're going to be navigating here in Psalm 91. It doesn't do any good to get up in the morning and whip out your Bible and walk to all four corners of your house reciting Psalm 91 and and flicking olive oil into all the corners of your rooms and casting out the demons and the evil spirits and, and things like that. It doesn't do any good if you don't have faith in God. It's faith in God that heals. It's the prayer of faith that heals. It's the prayer of faith. And the, the word of God even says it. I think we just didn't. Did we just cover that recently in one of the letters of the apostles where he talked about that? He said, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. And the prayer of faith will heal or save or however it is that it's phrased exactly there. But the, the wording there is the prayer of faith not the reciting of words. Now, that's not to say that reciting words is wrong. I've prayed the Psalms before. It's a good thing to do. But let us not fall into the superstitious belief of thinking that uh, just walking around my house and, and reciting some of the Psalms or reciting a prayer of David or reci- reciting a prayer of Solomon or, or reciting some scripture from Paul the Apostle is going to magically make something happen. It is the prayer of faith and really it's just plain faith amen that's what moves the hand of god it's belief in his promises it's our trust in him that's what makes it happen and it's god really that makes it happen i hate even to phrase it in any way uh, to to sound like you know we can make god do anything it doesn't really work that way okay It's God who has all the power and it is God who answers the prayer of faith. So with that in mind, having dismantled the erroneous belief that you know Scripture is magical, because when when we treat it that way too, it's another thing we sort of set it up. We set people up to do. We set ourselves up for criticism by unbelievers. By treating the Word of God just like they treat horoscopes or other things. And I recently saw some comment someone had made, some professed atheist, who said something like, You know, back when I was an evangelical Christian, because apparently they were apostate, back when I was an evangelical Christian, I used to ask God a question and then I'd pull out my Bible and I'd open it to a random page and I'd put my finger on some random verse and that would be the answer to my prayer. And then they laughed in their comment and said, How is that any different than divining? And I thought, You know what? It's not much different than divining I guess, but that doesn't mean that you know the Word of God has lost its validity, and it certainly doesn't mean that it has lost its power just because you have some well-meaning or um, ill-informed persons out there that misapply it or misuse it. So, all right, with all that said and all out of the way, let's go back into the Psalm 91. Now, it's a short one, it's only 16 verses long, and as we sort of... The first half of our study, we've already covered what the Word of God is not. So you're going to tell us what it is. So what is the Word of God? If it's not a book of magic spells, what is it exactly? It is the revealed Word of God to the human race. And it contains more promises than you even know what to do with. Well, no, it contains more promises than you should ever ignore there. How's that? It is filled with promises for the believer to stand on So let's go into Psalm 91. It's many things also in addition to that, but but it is certainly that. Let's go into Psalm 91 now with our sort of restored understanding and let's read it again. Verse one, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's a promise right there. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So what does that mean? The secret place of the Most High is that place. It's a metaphor or it's a spiritual sort of a description. You could say the secret place of the Most High is when your relationship with God is such that the wicked one cannot even touch you because your walk with God is that close. So what would he touch me with anyway? Well, he's got three weapons. We've preached about this, talked about this many times he he operates with fear he attacks with fear with confusion and with temptation and really confusion that's almost a confusion acts more like a catalyst for for the other two things confusion just makes fear worse and confusion makes temptation worse right because it works to sort of tear down but Confusion just acts as a catalyst to make either one of those other things worse because it tears down uh, it tears down your inhibitions. It confuses and reduces your convictions and your resolve. So well, confusion just makes fear heightened. And then confusion makes us more susceptible to temptation, right? Not to get too lost in the technicalities of this, but that's what the devil works with. That's what he attacks with. He attacks believers and unbelievers. Believers and unbelievers alike with these sorts of things. And those are the tools that he uses. But when you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, he said you'll abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What does it mean to abide under the shadow of the Almighty? It means to abide under his protection. You are not so susceptible. You're not so susceptible to these onslaughts of the enemy, whether it's by fear or by confusion or by temptation. He says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. That's what nails it into place. He wasn't saying that he was going to trust in any other thing, but in his God. Surely, verse three, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. So what's he saying? God will deliver us from traps. When we dwell in the secret, the secret place of, in the secret place of the Most High, when we dwell in that place where the wicked one cometh not, then he delivers us from traps, the traps of the enemy that he lays as a snare to ensnare us in different things. Well, what's that? What kind of snares? Well, I like to ensnare us in things like covetousness or in fear or panic or in lust Or temptations that, well, covetousness and temptation walk hand in hand. He'll deliver us from those snares and from the noisome pestilence. Okay, now, here's the first mention of that word here in this psalm. What's a pestilence? You don't really hear that word in modern English very much, do you? Well, a pestilence refers specifically to a plague. And this is, of course, one reason, one of the main reasons why uh, there are You know, otherwise good and well-meaning people that are saying, hey, you need to pray this psalm every day. Well, I'm all for praying this psalm. But remember, it's not the psalm that has power. It's faith. It's the prayer of faith and it's the power that abides in the hand of Almighty God to keep and protect us, his people, or to keep and protect those we love that we're praying for. And we ought to be praying for others in the midst of this and not just ourselves. Yes, pray for yourself and pray for your brother and your sister and the Lord, because we don't want anybody to come down with this thing and nobody got time for this. You see what it's already doing with, with, with the whole country, just the fear of it alone. It's not even the disease that's doing it. It's the fear of the disease alone. And that speaks to probably these first eight verses in the psalm speak of God delivering us from fear. Not just delivering us from the trap or from the pestilence itself, but from the fear. Look at what fear is making people do all over the country and all over the world in many places. It has been so hyped and maybe it's worth it and maybe it's not. I'm not going to speak to that right now, but it's been so hyped that you can barely get a roll of toilet paper. Or a bottle of rubbing alcohol to sanitize something. Or to make your own hand sanitizer because all the hand sanitizer's been bought up. It's making people do irrational things and it's making people treat one another horribly. And we don't want to be like that, do we? We don't want to do that. So let's go back and let's read. So he says, Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. All right, that's a promise. And from the noisome pestilence. Okay, that's a promise too. He shall cover thee with his feathers. And under his wings shalt thou trust. Under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. His truth, what's the main, what's the key word there? Shield and buckler? No. Truth. His truth shall be your shield. That's a defensive. That's a defensive piece of armory, isn't it? Or armor is a shield. It's meant to block things like darts, arrows, the blow of a sword, someone throwing rocks at you, or tomatoes, or whatever. It's it's something that blocks an onslaught. An onslaught. Okay. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Well, how is his truth your shield and your buckler? Because. When you know the truth, it protects you against the lies of the enemy, doesn't it? It protects you from the superstitions of others that would try to get you to do things that are not wise. And oh man, man, oh man, lies are a real weapon. Lies are a real weapon. You got people lying about President Trump right now. Now, don't worry, I'm not jumping on the Trump train necessarily, but I will stand to his defense on this particular thing because you've got um, news publications or news websites uh, all over that are blaming Trump because of this elderly couple in Arizona, the somewhat elderly couple in Arizona. Um, they said that they took Trump's miracle cure. Trump doesn't have a miracle cure because Trump, uh, President Trump had mentioned something about taking a particular type of clinical substance, a medication, uh, of which there are like three global studies that verify that, yes, it is effective against coronavirus. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm just repeating from the news, okay? Trump had mentioned President Trump had mentioned something about it, and this elderly couple uh, took it. The husband died, and the woman is in the ICU. So now everybody's blaming Trump. But they neglected to mention that They didn't take the substance that these three global studies said are effective against coronavirus. They drank aquarium cleaner. Yes, the stuff you use to clean a a koi pond, okay? An aquarium. That's what they drank. But, you know, a lie will make it around the world three times before the truth can even get its shoes on. And so there's people scrambling to to clean up that damage. Why are we bringing that up? Because God's truth will be your shield and your buckler. God's truth is your shield against lies, against superstitions, against things that would put you in a fear or a panic or get you chasing your tail or doing the wrong thing. And not just in the midst of this crisis, not just in the midst of this uh, this, uh, pandemic, excuse me, but in whatever it is that you're facing. Because when you let yourself become overwhelmed or overcome by fear, then you cease, in that instant, you have ceased to walk by faith. You cannot walk by fear and by faith. Oh, well, preacher, what about Noah? Uh, The Bible says that Noah was moved by fear uh, to to build the ark to the saving of himself and his household. Okay, I understand that. But Noah was also moved by faith because God told Noah, I'm going to flood out this earth, and so you need to build an ark. Noah walked by faith. And I think he's even mentioned uh, on that score in another place in Scripture. But Noah was moved by faith. When we start making decisions based on fear, then we have ceased to walk by faith. Calm down, be still and know that He is God. Amen? He's still in control. Okay, well, but preacher, you don't understand. My business has been shut down because of this. And, and my business is such that I can't do it online. Calm down. Calm down. God knows. And far worse than this has befallen the human race. Again, just to get restore a little bit of perspective here. All right. I haven't seen any wagons going by carrying wagon loads and cart loads of the dead. Where are the piles of the dead? Thank you. Now, that, again, not trying to take away from the legitimate concern about this disease, but let's remember, God's still in control. This is not the black plague. All right. Enough of that. He shall cover thee with his feathers. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night. This is verse five. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day for the nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. What is he promising? He's saying he didn't say you're never going to be affected by any of these things. He said thou shalt not be afraid. That's what he delivers us from. Remember, do you remember a few months ago when we were teaching out of Matthew in in some of the earlier chapters of Matthew, the disciples there with the Lord crossing the stormy sea and the sea was tossed about and the ship was tossed about. and And those disciples, they were fearful for their lives and understandably so. But what was our Lord doing? He was asleep down in the hold of the ship, wasn't he? He was chill as could be, completely unaffected and completely unafraid. What did he do when they went down into the ship to wake him up in their panic, in their fear? And they said, Lord, save us, we perish. And Jesus opened his eyes and looked at him and said, oh, ye of little faith, what are you afraid of? Like God was going to let that ship sink with Jesus on board? No way, man. The very first thing Jesus did was address and then alleviate their fear. And then when that was taken care of, then he climbed up onto the deck of, the, of that boat and rebuked the wind and the waves and said, peace be still, and the waters were stilled, and then everything was fine. So remember, one of the first things that he promises to take care of, one of the first things he promises to take care of in this psalm is the fear. He said, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness or gets spread on flat surfaces that people handle after they've just coughed into their hands. Thou shalt not be afraid. So let's not be afraid. Let's just trust in the Lord, our God. Wash your hands, cover your mouth. It says you'll not be afraid for any of these things. Verse seven, a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come by, it shall not come nigh thee. Now, was he talking about the pestilence or was he talking about the fear? Let's just apply it to both, shall we? It shall not come nigh thee. It shall not come near thee. You may see people dropping like flies from whatever it is, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. So what's he talking about there? Now he's talking about the wicked. Well, keep your eyes open. We're going to see some wicked get undone by this thing. Verse 9. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation... Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Okay, now he's getting specific. First he's addressed the fear, and now he's addressing the problem that the fear feeds into, or is feeding off of, or the problem that fear speaks to. Does that make sense? Okay. So again, coronavirus. There's the virus, and then there's the fear. So first he addresses the fear, and now he's addressing the thing that people are afraid of. Okay. He says, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, does this sound familiar? It should, because this is exactly what the devil quoted to our Lord when he was tempting him in the wilderness. When After he had uh, challenged his identity and said, if you're the son of God, then make these stones into the bread. Okay? Then he said, he took him up to a high place and said, cast yourself up." I think it was the pinnacle of the temple. He said, cast yourself down off of this pinnacle because he has said that thou hast given his angels charge concerning thee and they will bear thee up lest at any time thou should dash thy foot against a stone. So the devil was trying to use this very thing as a temptation for our Lord. We know what our Lord said and he just tore that down and said, do not tempt the Lord your God. So now there's something for us Christians to take to mind to take to heart You say, well, I'm bulletproof. i never get sick with anything, so I'm not even going to be careful. I'm going to remind you of some Christian responsibility. And Christian responsibility still says take precautions, have faith, OK, but take precautions for your brother or sister whose faith may not be operating at the same level as yours. So. Take precautions. Have faith, but take precautions for the sake of your brother or sister. Take precautions for the sake of everyone else in your community. Take precautions, because they may not be working at or operating at the same degree of faith that you're operating at. So let's still be cautious and have some Christian responsibility. Amen? We can still do that. So let's continue. They shall bear thee up in their hand, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Verses one through 13. He was speaking of God in the third person. Okay, in verse 14, the tense changes. He says, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. Now, obviously, this isn't the psalmist speaking of himself. This is the psalmist speaking as by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is as though it were God speaking and saying, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's the promise. If we have faith and we stand on these promises, God's got us taken care of.
0: Does that mean that
1: no one will ever get sick? No, that's not what it means. It just means that God's got the situation under control and we don't need to be fearful of it. And perhaps someone has gotten ill. Uh, gotten Ill. Well, then trust Him and believe Him to heal, trust Him and believe Him to keep His promises. Again, it's not to say that it's not a threat. We're just saying that the same God that heals of influenza, the same God that healed lepers in the Old Testament, the same God that restored sight to the blind and rose dead people up back to life, I mean real life, amen, is the same God that can heal of this also. And You don't have to drink something crazy to do it. Let's just... Set fear aside and trust in the promises of Almighty God. Where's the power in Psalm 91? The power in Psalm 91 lies in belief in the God of Psalm 91. And so with that, this is actually a good place to bring this to a close. Let's finish reading it. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So there we have it. There's Psalm 91. And there's a right understanding concerning where divine power really abides. It abides in him. And it abides in the prayer of faith that God answers with His divine power. And so, there you have it. Let us not be afraid. Let's just, like those old World War II posters they used to put up over in England, stay calm, press on, trust in the Lord your God, and let us offer comfort and encouragement and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the whole word of God to as many as we can.
0: Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving.